0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Redeemer. Um, As Cammie just said, my name is Kevin Tapscott. I am one of the pastors here uh, and just really glad to have the opportunity to to preach this morning, to uh, start looking at um, the Gospel of Luke. And so, uh, as she was just talking about, we ended last week our sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians, where we've been basically all year. We've had a couple of smaller sermon series in the midst of that, but we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians all year, basically. We ended that last week. Today, we're going to start going through the book of Luke, uh, the gospel of Luke, and so uh, our sermon series is just entitled, it's going to be at the top of most of your Bibles on this page, uh, The Gospel According to Luke. Um, so today, uh, she just read, we'll be looking at the first four verses, and we'll be kind of just giving an overview of the Gospel of Luke. Next week, we'll get more into uh, just everything going on in Luke, but particularly Luke 1 and 2, where we will be looking at the birth narrative of Jesus for Advent. In the, the next four weeks, starting next week, we're we'll just going to call Advent, according to Luke. Um, and we'll do that, and then afterward, we'll pick back up uh, in Luke chapter 3 and just keep going through this Gospel. But today, we're just going to kind of give an overview of the Gospel of Luke. Um, And so uh, a well-known author that uh, some of you are probably familiar with, he's written many books, Lee Strobel. Uh, Back in the 70s, Lee Strobel, he was an investigative journalist. Uh, He was trained at Yale Law School, actually. And at the time, he was a legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. Um, And Lee Strobel, he talks about this. He grew up as a skeptic and really even considered himself an atheist until he was confronted uh, more so with Christianity when his wife became a Christian in 1979. And at first he was actually, he was disappointed when she became a Christian. He wondered, how is this going to affect my life, her life, our marriage? He was curious what was going to happen, but he saw her newfound faith and he saw the changes that it was bringing about. And while these changes were unexpected, ultimately he thought they were good changes. He thought now that she was a Christian, she was just going to be going to all-night prayer vigils and volunteering all the time at soup kitchens and stuff like that. But instead, Strobel noticed uh, a change in character, a change in integrity in his wife. And these things were for the better, and he actually appreciated these changes. Uh, Something else, he noticed that there was a growth in her personal confidence in her faith in Jesus. And so being a skeptic, even a self-proclaimed atheist, he didn't understand this confidence in Jesus. And being at the time an investigative journalist, he decided he was going to take a closer look at Jesus to better understand his wife's newfound confidence. And so ultimately, he wanted to investigate the veracity of the claims of Christianity and get to the bottom of the reliability of this faith that had just really changed uh, the life of his wife. And so he took two years. He went all over the country. He interviewed professors and academics in all these different uh, fields, uh, and he had investigative questions. And being a legal journalist, he wanted to find answers to these questions that would hold up in a court of law, not just someone's personal opinion in regards to these questions. Strobel, he previously thought that the claim that God exists was just the product of wishful thinking and primitive superstition. He didn't think Jesus ever claimed to be God, but that he was just a human being like the rest of us. But now, after seeing his wife's transformation and wanting to actually dig in and find out is Christianity true, he was asking some different questions. He was asking, who was Jesus really? Who did Jesus claim to be? Is there any credible evidence to back up the assertions of Jesus? And ultimately the answers that Strobel found changed his life. And so my guess is that you or someone that you know has similarly had questions like the ones that Lee Strobel was asking. Whether you're a Christian or not, you've probably wanted to know who is Jesus? What did Jesus really teach? What did he do? The big one, did he actually come back to life from the dead? Are the claims of Christianity credible, or is believing in Jesus, believing in the gospel, is it just kind of a blind leap in the dark? And if Christianity is credible, what does that mean for my life? And so, Thankfully, we have, uh, of course, the whole Bible, but we have the gospel account of Luke, who also carefully investigated the details surrounding the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so Lee Strobel, all he had to interview was biblical experts, which, of course, is no small matter. But Luke, he interviewed actual eyewitnesses who heard Jesus' teachings. They saw his miracles, and they saw him alive again after he had been murdered on a Roman cross. And so after all of his investigation and research, Luke, Luke was confident that we can truly know the historical events surrounding Jesus. And this confidence he imparts to us in his gospel so that we too may truly know Jesus. So as I said, today we're going to look at the first four verses of the gospel account of Luke, and we're going to kind of give an overview of Luke, and he kind of helps us in his prologue to give an overview of his method and what he's trying to accomplish in writing his gospel account. And so we're going to see that he underwent a a lot of research, a lot of investigation before he wrote his gospel. And so just as Strobel and just as Luke, in their investigation, they were asking kind of just a lot of questions about Jesus this morning. We'll, we'll ask some questions about the gospel and Jesus himself from the book of Luke and see what Luke has to tell us about these things. And so uh, we're going to start by asking the first question is, is the gospel historical? Is the gospel historical? So I'm just going to reread these first four verses. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so the book of Luke is one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's one of the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they are called the Synoptic Gospels because, overall, they're very similar. They together form a general summary and synopsis of the life and ministry of Jesus, and, and largely they are in agreement together. There are some subtle differences, of course, if you've read them, but largely they agree in what they say, even sometimes how they say it, and kind of how things are ordered and presented in their Gospel. The Gospel of John was written a little later than those three Gospels And of course, it tells the same gospel story about Jesus, but it highlights and emphasizes some different things that ultimately complement the three synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so even though Luke's name as the author is not mentioned all throughout church history, no one else has ever been attributed as the author of the gospel of Luke other than Luke. Uh, In Luke, the gospel is actually the first book in a two-volume account written by Luke, with the second volume being Acts. It's usually referred to as Luke-Acts. He wrote both books. And so these two books together make up a huge portion of the New Testament. They make up one-third of the New Testament, and the gospel account of Luke is the longest book in the entire New Testament. And so from passages in the New Testament, from Colossians, Philemon, 2 Timothy, we know that Luke was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, and that he was also a doctor. Uh, So he was very well-educated. He was also likely a Gentile convert to Christianity. And so in the second half of the book of Acts... Uh, which was written by Luke, the author talks about his travels with the Apostle Paul on the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. And we know that because in Acts 16, it starts to change the language Does Instead of saying, Paul went here and Paul did this, it says, we went here, we did this. And so ultimately it's saying, whoever wrote Acts was a travel companion of Paul. Uh, We know that Luke from these other passages was a travel companion of Paul. And we know that the same person who wrote Acts wrote Luke. Uh, and so ultimately, uh, throughout church history, it's always said Luke was the one who wrote the gospel account of Luke. Uh, and part of the reason we know that the, that Luke wrote Luke and Acts is because both books are addressed to this person, Theophilus. And so Theophilus just means lover of God. Uh, and there's some debate, but this was probably an actual person. and may have even been a high-ranking Roman official who paid and sponsored financially uh, Luke's research and writing projects so that he would have the time and space and resources to go out and do all this investigative research and write these accounts about the life and ministry of Jesus and then in Acts, just the the spread of the gospel in the early church. Uh, And it's possible that Theophilus was either interested in Christianity, was a seeker, or was a young Christian himself and had some doubts, had some questions that he wanted to get some clarity on, and so sponsored Luke's writing project. And so the earliest manuscripts we have about the Gospel of Luke all have the title, The Gospel According to Luke. And like I said, this will be at the top of the page of Luke 1 in most of your Bibles, The Gospel According to Luke. Um, And all the Gospels really say The Gospel According to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, because ultimately there's just one Gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this isn't Luke's gospel, but this is the gospel according to Luke. So each of the four gospel accounts, they're written by different men. They have different emphases, a different audience, but they are all communicating the same one true gospel, the gospel of Jesus. And so Luke, he is writing to Theophilus, which again means lover of God, so that Theophilus might know Jesus better. But ultimately, Anyone who loves God, anyone who desires to learn more about Jesus and to know Jesus better, this book is for you. And so Luke starts in these first four verses by saying that there were other gospel accounts about Jesus that came from eyewitnesses, he says, and servants of the word. And one of these gospel accounts is definitely the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, which pretty much all scholars believe that that was the gospel out of the four that was written first. Scholars also are confident that Luke and Matthew both used Mark in the writing of their own gospels. So kind of like Mark, which is shorter than both Matthew and Luke, was used as kind of a foundation for their gospel accounts, and they kind of built upon that foundation. And so, uh, but in addition to Mark, there were probably other gospel accounts too. Uh, And scholars think that Luke, in addition to Mark, probably used one or two other written gospel accounts that historically, archaeologically, we don't currently have. We can't look to them, but there's all sorts of New Testament scholarship that goes into that saying, okay, we think Luke is is relying on another gospel account here, even though we don't have it. So why am I saying this? What all of this means is that there were multiple sources preserving the truth about Jesus very soon after his death and resurrection. So that gives us confidence historically in what we can know from the gospels about Jesus, And so Luke, he wrote his gospel account most likely in the early 60s A.D., probably about 30 years after Jesus died. Jesus died in A.D. 30 or 33, one of those two. Um, And so to us, 30 years after his death and resurrection, that might seem like a really long time in the age of Twitter and, you know, we have video cameras in our pockets and all of that stuff. That seems like a really long time when we get instant, immediate news. But historically speaking, that's actually very, very soon after the events themselves. But the gospel accounts of Jesus ultimately stemmed from a well-preserved oral tradition that was passed down. And Luke tells us this came from the original eyewitnesses of the events themselves and the ministers of the word, he says. Luke says the eyewitness accounts were delivered to us. The apostles and other followers who walked with Jesus preserved accurate teaching about his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection, and they delivered it to others. And this delivery was through verbal teaching about Jesus, but also through these other gospels that were written down. But they were all based on the oral tradition that was verbally communicated and passed down to others about Jesus. And so ultimately, uh, again, it's a different culture, a different time in history. This oral tradition is not something that we really understand. We are a written culture. How we preserve and pass on knowledge is by the written word. But for them, it was orally. They would pass it down orally, communicating these things. And they were actually really, really good at it. The Jewish uh, culture in first century Palestine, that is kind of how they passed down stories and truth claims and all of these things about God. They would memorize it and they would recite it verbally to others and pass it down in that way. And so they were really good at it. And so we can know that what was passed down, even though it was orally and that's not how we communicate uh, primarily, primarily we do it through the written word, we can trust that it was well preserved and what we have today is accurate. But in addition to this oral tradition, Luke says that he also followed all things closely for some time past. So he traveled around, some say for probably about two years, and talked to as many apostles as he could. He interviewed eyewitnesses. He carefully researched and investigated the events surrounding Jesus, going back as far as he could. He didn't just get a spark of inspiration and just write down something that he thought would be good or would make a good story to to read to your kids at bedtime or to tell others. He was doing the work of a historian, and he was actually a really good historian. Just as Paul, we talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Luke carefully interviewed as many eyewitnesses as he could. These people, they were still alive. They could give firsthand testimony of the things that they saw and experienced about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't like a great-great-grandchild telling their favorite stories about their great-great-grandfather. It's like interviewing the great-great-grandfather themselves and hearing from this person the things that they saw and heard. And interestingly enough, it seems likely that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was actually one of these eyewitnesses that Luke talked to. This seems to be the case because, as we'll get to in the coming weeks, there's more detail surrounding the prophecies and the stories about the birth of Jesus and John in the first couple of chapters of Luke. And so given that Luke was a historian, he was interviewing eyewitnesses, a lot of scholars think that he probably interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she told him a lot of details that we don't necessarily see in these other gospel accounts. In Luke's historical account about the life of Jesus rivals the best historical accounts of history and culture of the day, historical accounts about kings and wars and all of that. Even the language that he uses is extremely sophisticated, especially in these first four verses where he talks about what he's writing and why he is writing. Like I said, he's a doctor. He is very well educated, and he was researching and writing as a historian in a very scholarly manner. His method of interviewing eyewitnesses and writing it down assures us that he is preserving and communicating accurate history, especially since it was written very, very soon after the events themselves. And so just to give you a comparison, even the best and oldest biographies that we historians, archeolo- archeologists have today about Alexander the Great were written 400 years after his death. But this gospel account, and Mark, which was written even earlier, was 30 years or less after the life and death of Jesus. And so it happened very, very soon. And Luke's account, of course, is based on eyewitness testimony. And so I'm saying all that to answer the question I initially posed. Is the gospel historical? Yes, the gospel, the good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is historical. We can have confidence in the details that Luke and the other gospels give us about Jesus. These things, they weren't changed. They weren't altered from the original events that happened. Their teaching and theology, they didn't develop over time. The gospel accounts that we have today are not the product of the kid's game of telephone where you whisper something in someone's ear and they kind of go on down the line. And by the end, it's just something completely different than what was originally whispered. So that didn't happen with the original events of Jesus. Because as New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg, uh, who's actually one of the scholars that Lee Strobel interviewed when he was going on this investigative journey, Blomberg says, the gospel traditions were not whispered, as in the game of telephone, but publicly proclaimed, not to children, but to adults, in the presence of knowledgeable tradents or with apostolic checks and balances. And I had to look it up, but a tradent was a person who just handed down or transmitted this oral tradition. And there were the apostles who were alive who, there were these checks and balances to where they could say, no, 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 that's not what happened. That's not what he said or what he did. And so it's not, as some might believe, is just something that evolved and changed over time. The teachings about Jesus were preserved from the moment of the events themselves. And of course, Luke, he interviewed Eyewitnesses, and these were eyewitnesses probably to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, to the miracles, to the healings that he did, to his death on the cross, and to his resurrection after the death on the cross. So the gospel stories, they're not fanciful inventions of sad and aimless disciples of Jesus who did not know what to do with themselves after his death. So they just kind of made up a bunch of stories about their murdered leader but the gospels are the well-preserved and well-written accounts of the actual events surrounding the life of the historical Jesus. So what this means is that we can truly know Jesus. We have historical confidence. And that also means that our faith in Jesus is not a blind leap of faith in spite of evidence, but it is based on plenty of good, reliable historical evidence. So yes, the gospel is historical. The next question, is the gospel biblical? And what I mean by that is, are the historical events surrounding Jesus things that just happened, or was there meaning and significance behind them? Because of course, if there was a man who performed miracles, died, and then came back to life, that's of course certainly remarkable. We should pay attention to that. But if the story of this person's life, teaching, miracles, death, and resurrection were all part of a greater story, well then that of course, of course, is much more significance. And so Luke says that his gospel is a narrative or a story of the things that have been accomplished among us. I think a better translation of that is the things that have been fulfilled among us. These things, they weren't isolated or detached historical events. They were the fulfillment of something. So what were they fulfillment of? The promises and prophecies of the Old Testament. The promises that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. The promises to bless Israel so that they might be a blessing to the nations. The prophecies concerning the coming Messiah who would bring the new covenant for God's people. The promise of salvation for all nations. All of these promises were foretold in the Old Testament and they were fulfilled in the New Testament. And they were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we can see this in Luke chapter 4, where in that uh, account, in Luke 4, that's where Jesus begins his public ministry in the gospel of Luke. And so Luke, he strategically strategically places this story in Luke 4, the place where he does. And in that story, Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he gets up and he reads from Isaiah 61. And when he does this, when Jesus reads this in Luke 4, he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so when he reads this, ultimately, it's strategically placed in Luke chapter four because this is kind of Luke is presenting an overview of the ministry of Jesus that he is inaugurating when he is reading that in Nazareth. This is what his ministry is going to accomplish. But in reading from Isaiah 61, Jesus ultimately is talking about the Old Testament year of Jubilee, where we learn about in Leviticus 25. And in the year of Jubilee, what would happen, what God commands in Leviticus 25 is that slaves are to go free, debts are to be canceled, land was to be returned to its original owner. And this was a regular practice of Israel in the Old Testament to show that this was a time of liberation and freedom and justice and mercy. And God's people were to live this way on the year of Jubilee because these things ultimately flow from the heart of who God is. And the Old Testament talks about this future eternal year of Jubilee where there is liberty, justice, and freedom experienced by God's people forever. What's up, dude? (laughs) He's excited. He's like, year of Jubilee? That's my favorite. Leviticus 25? Amen. So... (laughs) Jesus, he reads from the book of Isaiah, talking about the year of Jubilee, and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy about God's anointed Messiah who would bring liberty and freedom for those who trust in him. In this freedom, Jesus says, quoting Isaiah, is uniquely for the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. And so that doesn't mean that if you don't fit those categories, then this freedom and liberation is not for you, but that God's heart is uniquely drawn toward those who are suffering in these types of ways. But ultimately, we know that this is highlighting that this is true of all of us, spiritually speaking. We are all spiritually poor. We're spiritually captive, blind, and spiritually oppressed. But it's saying that the good, liberating news of Jesus is uniquely for those who are marginalized and who are outcast for those who are on the outside of society. And we're going to see Luke highlight this over and over again throughout his gospel. And at this time in history, when Luke is writing, those types of people who were marginalized and on the outside of society were the poor, women, children, sinners and tax collectors, those of particular ethnic groups like the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And these are exactly the people that Jesus was uniquely drawn toward and showed compassion to, and they were uniquely drawn to him. And we'll see this in Luke. After Jesus announces his ministry of liberation and justice for those on the outside of society in Luke, when he announces this in Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus goes on to fulfill these words by Luke sharing stories of Jesus going out and healing people and delivering people casting out demons, and this is all for people who were kind of on the margins, the outside of society, who society kind of looked down upon, but Jesus was moving toward to heal them and to deliver them. And so Jesus's heart for this group of people is showing further that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. For God in the Old Testament, he had special laws for people in this category, like the year of Jubilee, to uniquely care for the marginalized and the oppressed. And God in the Old Testament, he has a special heart for what scholars call the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant. And Luke shows that Jesus also had a special heart for these types of people, those on the outside of society. And this is because Jesus is God. He came to fulfill the Old Testament. His kingdom is for those in need of mercy and justice and deliverance. And God, in his love and compassion, is eager to give it to them. And of course, so is Jesus. He came to bring salvation in accordance with God's promises. A summary of Jesus' mission in the Gospel of Luke is in Luke 19.10, where it says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Scholars talk about how Luke, in his Gospel, he is writing salvation history. This is how God has acted in history in the person and work of Jesus to save those who place their faith in him. And so seeking and saving the lost was and is what Jesus is all about. So everything concerning Jesus that Luke writes about is a fulfillment of the promises of God. They all come together in Jesus. That's why Luke starts his gospel saying that the events around Jesus were fulfilled among us, And then he ends his gospel in Luke 24 with Jesus telling his disciples, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Bible. All of it is pointing to him. God is accomplishing his mission of reconciling people to himself from every nation in Christ. He is building the family of God in Christ, He is bringing the kingdom. Has brought the kingdom of God in Christ. We must read and interpret all of Scripture through the lens of Jesus. In light of Jesus, the grand overarching story of the Bible finds its fulfillment in Christ. So, to answer that question, yes, the gospel is biblical. The next question is: Is the gospel credible? So, in light of the historicity of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And seeing that it is the culmination of everything in the Bible, is the gospel credible? Is it worthy of belief? Is it worthy of confidence? Is is it trustworthy? And of course, answering this question is of crucial importance because to trust the gospel of Jesus is to trust Jesus of the gospel. And trusting Jesus, we know, means giving him your entire life, so this is a big deal. Luke, he is concerned with Theophilus, trusting the things that he has been taught concerning Jesus. And so whether Theophilus was a seeker or a young Christian, he had questions and maybe even some doubts about Jesus. And Luke wanted to thoroughly show Theophilus that the good news about Jesus is worthy of belief, and Jesus is trustworthy. But Theophilus had questions. He had some doubts, and that's similar to all of us. We have questions sometimes. We have doubts sometimes. And what Luke shows us in his gospel is that Jesus is gentle with doubters. He is compassionate toward those who are trying to figure out whether or not Jesus is trustworthy. He doesn't just call us to not worry about verifiable evidence or rational arguments. Instead, Jesus gives us rational, historical, verifiable reasons to trust him. He doesn't just call us to move forward in blind faith in the face of doubt. Rather, he calls us closer to himself and he gives us trustworthy evidence about the accounts of his life, death, and resurrection that are worthy of confident belief. Jesus, he doesn't condemn us for our questions about him or the gospel, but he gently and patiently shows us that the gospel is credible and he is trustworthy. We see this in Luke that even the great John the Baptist had questions, had some doubts before his death. Luke, in his gospel, he tells us that John was the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 40, that there would be one who would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And John proclaimed himself that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when John is in prison, before his death, he sends some of his disciples to go to Jesus and ask Jesus, "'Are you the one to come, or should we look for another?' And so in that appears that Jesus, he has, or excuse me, John has some questions, has some doubts about Jesus. And this is John, the one of whom Jesus says, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Jesus says that none is greater than John, and yet John is doubting who Jesus actually is, having questions. Are you actually the Messiah Are you are who you claimed to be? Are you you who I thought you to be? And so this is a big deal, the great John the Baptist. How is Jesus going to respond to this? And Jesus, he doesn't chastise John. He doesn't have a harsh message for John's disciples to go back and to deliver to John for his lack of faith. But Jesus says this in Luke 7, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He says that the evidence of the acts that he is doing, the miracles he is performing, is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And it is the fulfillment of what Jesus said he was going to do in his ministry when he got up in Nazareth in the synagogue and read from Isaiah 61 at the beginning of his ministry. We can have confidence in the historical accounts and biblical meaning about Jesus and the good news that he proclaimed. We may have doubts and we may have questions, but Jesus doesn't condemn us for those things. He doesn't treat us harshly because of our doubts and our questions. He gently responds with acts with the acts that he performed, the miracles that he does, the things that he teaches, and that all of these point to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. He brought the kingdom. He is God's salvation. And so ultimately Jesus in the gospel can be trusted. Fabidi Anyabwile, in his commentary on Luke, says that because Christianity can be tested, it can be trusted. Because we can test the historical reliability of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and show that history reveals that these things actually happened, that we can trust the claims of Christianity and ultimately we can trust Christ himself. He is not upset or concerned about our questions or doubts, but gently welcomes us to look at all of the evidence that he has given to us because Jesus wants us to believe in him and he wants us to have confidence in our belief in him. With our doubts and questions, Jesus doesn't retort, just have faith. He calls us to have faith, to trust him, yes, but he gives us plenty of reasons to do so. So when coming to Christ and coming to Christianity, we don't have to just check our minds at the door to think that, well, there's no real reason to trust and believe in the gospel or to trust and believe in Jesus, there is. We can bring our doubts and questions and confusions to Jesus knowing that he graciously welcomes us He gives us good, trustworthy reasons and evidence to believe in him and to stake our lives on the gospel. Being a Christian is not because we are naive or uninformed or gullible or anti-intellectual. Christianity is a credible faith that withstands scrutiny from all directions. So for you, for us, we can humbly bring our questions to Jesus and he will show that the gospel is credible, that he is trustworthy. There's no question or level of scrutiny that the gospel of Jesus cannot stand up against. And Jesus welcomes those who question in doubt. He doesn't cast you away. And I think that this is important because if you're like me, in general, in life, but especially in the last 18 months, a lot of doubts, a lot of questions arise as we look at the world around us, as we see the trials and the suffering, as we see the injustice, as we experiencing these things for ourselves, we can ask these questions saying, God, are you real? Are you there? Do you see? Do you hear? Do you listen? And what we see in this is that to have those questions is okay. Jesus is not hurt or offended like, how dare you ask me? But rather, he gently welcomes us He gives us good reasons to know who he is and to trust him. He may not provide all the answers that we want with the questions that we have, but he does give us everything that we know that in the face of those doubts and those questions and those confusions, we can say, I may not see, I may not understand, but I can know you and I can trust that you are good and faithful and trustworthy. And so I can stake my life on that even when everything around me and maybe even my own life feels like it's falling apart. I know that you are there, God, and that you are good, and that you are holding me and all things together. So the gospel is credible, and in the face of doubts and questions, we can bring those things to Jesus and trust those with him. And so this leads us to our final question to consider this morning. Is Jesus knowable? Is Jesus knowable? So Luke tells us that he wants to write an orderly account in his gospel. He wanted to be intentional in how he presented the facts about Jesus so that he could accurately present Jesus for who he is. Not who we think he is or who we would like Jesus to be, but who he actually is. And Luke, writing to Theophilus, wants Theophilus to be certain about the things that he has been taught about Jesus so that he can be certain about whom he was trusting. So interviewing eyewitnesses means that Luke was able to talk to people who knew the events of the life of Jesus because they saw him, but they also knew Jesus more personally. Yes, because they saw him, they interacted with him, they experienced these things. Also because over time they were able to reflect on these experiences, reflect on these events, and reflect on who Jesus is and what he said and did. So after all that they had seen and and heard, after years of thinking and praying and reflecting on these things, and by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, they more fully knew Jesus. And that is something that we can learn from Luke's gospel, that because we can truly know that Jesus lived, died, and rose again in history, we can truly know Jesus personally through faith. Our faith in Christ is well-grounded in actual history, not fantasy but it is also a living, vibrant faith because Jesus is alive and active. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us who have placed faith in Jesus to help us to fully see and understand and even experience who Jesus truly is. As Luke says, we can have certainty about what we have learned about Jesus. We can be certain that he was God in the flesh. We can be certain that he came to this earth as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and promises. We can be certain of his mercy and compassion for those who are hurting and in need. We can be certain of his desire to save and restore broken sinners like you and me. We can be certain that he is a God of justice and liberation. We can be certain that he died on the cross for our sins. We can be certain that he rose again we can be certain that those who trust in him as Lord and Savior are forgiven and saved and made new. The gospel of Luke is much more than just knowing true things about Jesus. It is about knowing the loving, gracious, gentle, compassionate heart of Jesus personally by putting our faith in him receiving forgiveness, receiving salvation, having the indwelling Holy Spirit and walking every single day with this loving, merciful, compassionate Savior. So Luke carefully investigated all things about Jesus and wrote for us an orderly account that can result in certainty and truly knowing Jesus. Lee Strobel, who I mentioned at the beginning, he set out to investigate the claims about Jesus for himself to see if they were actually true. And after 2 years he believed that every one of his questions were answered every one of his doubts were removed and he believed he knew the Jesus of history and so he came to know Jesus personally by placing his faith in him. And recently Lee Strobel he tweeted on November 8th actually he said this. Today November 8th is my 40th spiritual birthday. On this day 4 decades ago after a two-year investigation of the evidence, I put my trust in Christ by receiving his free gift of grace in a prayer of repentance and faith, changed my life in eternity. Thank you, Lord. And so what all of this means for you and for me is that we truly too can come to know this Jesus by placing our faith in him. He too can forgive you, save you and change your life. You can know his love and compassion and kindness every single day Jesus told us that he came to seek and to save the lost and he proved it with his life and he proved it with his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection back to life from the grave. And so we know that if we have trusted in this Jesus, if we have placed faith in him and his work on the cross, then we too are forgiven and saved. And so with Jesus, we can say, thank you, Lord. You have come and you have sought and saved sinners like us. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, Jesus, thank you that you came to this earth. Thank you that you came as a human to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved on the cross for our sins, that you came back to life in actual space-time history, victorious over sin and death, hell and the grave, and that You have pursued us, you have sought us, Lord, and you have saved us through faith in you and what you have done for us at the cross. Thank you, Lord, that we can be certain and have confidence in these things, in the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that this isn't just a blind leap in the dark, that we have nothing to back up our faith in you, Jesus, but that we have everything, so many things to lend to a credible, reliable, historical, biblical faith in you. And what that means for us, Lord, is that for those of us who have placed faith in you for forgiveness and salvation, we can be confident in that faith. That we can confidently live for you and follow you, Jesus, every single day. And we can confidently communicate this gospel of Jesus to others and be confident, Lord, that if they place their faith in you, Lord, that they too will be saved and they will be welcomed into the family of God with us. So Lord, we thank you for this confidence. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, the gospel according to Luke and all that he did and all that you wrote and preserved for us through Luke, Lord. We're excited to go through this gospel and to learn more about you, Jesus, and to come to know you better. And so we love you, Lord, and we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus, amen.